Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 181. This week, we talk with Stefan Wick about the desktop bridge tooling. What is a security.txt file? And how a side project helped me double my salary. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. This week, we have Stefan Wick, Program Manager Lead on the Windows Platform Team. His responsibilities include the Windows app model for UWP and Win32, including the desktop bridge tooling and platform, formerly known as Project Centennial. How is it going, Stefan? Pretty good. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, our pleasure. Uh, Carl, you bought something? Yeah, so I, I'm one of those people that constantly go back and forth about wires on my accessories for my computer, mm-hmm. and I, I'm back in the wired camp right now. <laughs> so I bought the uh, the Microsoft Classic IntelliMouse recently yeah. to replace my Logitech MX Master. Uh, I was getting sick of the MX Master. Like every three days, I would have to charge it. And it's just one of those charging periods where it's just enough time where you forget about it, so you don't constantly charge it. But it's not long enough where it's feels like it's a pain to constantly do. Mm-hmm. So I went out and got the classic IntelliMouse. And it, in it, its design and simplicity, it, it does everything you want a mouse to do. Um, and it has a wire, so I don't have to think about charging it. So, mm. you know, it's one of those things. I, probably a year from now, I'll try to find something wireless because I don't like the wires on my desk. But, uh, you know, I, I we do try to keep people up to date with, you know, what, what are our decisions on hardware as well? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'll give you an update on mine. Mine is like super simplistic because I have so my MacBook has a USB-C connection into a dock. The dock connects a monitor and uh, it connects like Ethernet and some other things that also charges it. But uh, the keyboard that I'm using is actually the built-in keyboard in the MacBook. And the mouse I'm using is actually the trackpad in the MacBook. Um, And one of the reasons why, uh, probably 50% of the reason why I actually switch over to the MacBook is because the the trackpad is so good. And this one has the gigantic trackpad on it. But my, you know, my right wrist hurts frequently. Uh, So I I actually switch between my right and left hand on this. So it actually, it's like a, it's like an ergonomic thing, which I know sounds kind of weird because I was using a vertical mouse for a while. Uh, But that only sort of delayed the inevitable. My wrist was, was still hurting. Uh, so the trackpad actually works out pretty good. And then I actually change my environment as well. Like sometimes I'm at my desk, sometimes I'm sitting like in a lazy boy recliner and I'll, you know, I'll work on that instead. Um, and that's really helping just, you know, use like different wrist positions. Cause I think that that's the key is just like always, you know, be like sort of doing things differently. If you're doing anything repetitive, you're going to have uh, those repetitive, um, injuries. And then at work, I I actually, so I have a 4k monitor at home and then I have one at work. I have the exact same monitor. I have the exact same setup. So it's really nice. It doesn't, I can sort of do the exact same thing either way. That really helps when your setups are identical. Yeah. And I'm in this camp. Like it's funny because a lot of people have like a desktop and a laptop computer. I'm a huge fan of, um, I want to have like the most powerful laptop that I can possibly have and just use the same machine. 
uh, because then all my stuff is there and it's all set up the way that I want. And then again, like having using the same keyboard, like when I'm traveling or on the road versus like when I'm in the office versus when I'm at home is actually a productivity boost, you know, because, uh, you know, you have all that muscle memory for keyboards and, and the mouse that you're using. And it's not that I don't have this issue then when I'm on the road, like, oh, I have to use this stupid trackpad. I'm just like, oh, I'm just doing this exactly the way that I'm always doing it. So. Yeah, totally agree. I'm the same way. I'm all laptop mm. all the time, even if I sit in my office. Uh, for some reason, I'm just yeah. always attached to to the laptop. Yeah, it's just it's just so much easier just having one device and just not even having to really think about it. Cool. Okay, so what do we have for the comment of the week, Carl? Uh, this week's comment of the week comes from Michael Sage on our website. Uh, he replied to the episode we did about the streaming uh, live coding sessions with Suze Hinton. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, when I'm not sleeping through your podcast early on Saturday not morning, I'm generally doing things around the house like making a crazy concoction of pharmaceutical and herbal medicines for my son who has autism, which is quite tedious. As you mentioned, the need to have something uh, to listen to during a task like this uh, – And when we mentioned that, he started to laugh, and this is what he was in the middle of, and he sent us a picture, uh, and he's got uh, actually a a bunch of medicines, a mortal and pestle, just lots of vials and tinctures of stuff, yeah, some fruit, so he's definitely doing a bunch of stuff uh, for his son, which uh, kudos on being an awesome dad to do all that stuff. Uh, Mixing your own medicines is not easy. Yeah. Um, I thought this but was yeah. going to be a horrible comment the way it started out when I'm not <laughs> when I'm not sleeping through your podcast early on a Saturday morning. So, uh, uh, yeah. but but yeah, you know, I li- listen to a lot of podcasts myself, and they're pretty much always when I'm doing chores or you know doing something where I have my brain free but my hands are busy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if you want to get mentioned on the show, just like Michael did, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, or Stitcher. And we really like those five-star iTunes reviews. And I, I've checked and we haven't had any in a while. So come on, send us some uh, reviews that way. Awesome. Yeah, because we have, uh, it's like 1% of people listening do that. Um, so yeah, we really like those. Okay, let's jump into the news. How a side project helped me double my salary. This is very relevant because we were just talking about this a few weeks ago. Yeah, so, you know, I'll let you, uh, as listeners, go to the show notes and read this exact story, but I've always had a side project. And Jason, I know that that you've got a side project, too, that we'll probably talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that a side project helped get me my first technical job. And, and this is something that uh, maybe Jason will remember. And, you know, he was interviewing me. And in the middle of it, I started talking about some code that I had written. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of my coworkers give me a lot of crap for this one-off app that I have. But uh, I asked, like, hey, do you mind if I go to my car and get my laptop with the code? And we did, like, a code review of the side project that I had. And me, as somebody who's never had a tech job before, and Jason at the time was a CTO of a company uh, – he was going through my code. He's like, why'd you do this? That's not right. And I'm like, well, and then I argued like, this is why I did it like this. So it, you know, I had the passion for the project and that was enough to give me, you know, the confidence to stand up to, you know, normally you're, you're a little bit intimidated when you're a junior dev and you're talking to a CTO about a code resource, you might just automatically bow. But, Mm -hmm. um, because I had that, you know, you know, I was so, uh, engrossed in my code. I was able to stand up for the decisions that I made. Mm-hmm. And I have two comments, one that I've made before, which actually I think I've made both before. So I apologize. <laughs> but but the, the first one is that um, I'm convinced that no matter what project you do on the side, 
somehow it, it, there's there's this weird phenomenon where it will become immediately relevant at work. And I don't know if it's a causal relationship or if it's just, uh, you know, that effect where like you 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 see everybody else who has the same kind of car as you. Um, but if I if I were to let's say I were to write some obscure thing in go for whatever reason, like I at work, I would have like a partner you know, they're like, Hey, I have this project in go and I'm trying to solve this problem. And it's like, I just solved that yesterday on this thing I was building for my house. Um, so there's, there's that phenomenon that happens all the time. So, you know, I, I feel like side projects are never a waste of time. Like there's, they, they have a personal benefit and then they also have a work benefit. And then, uh, the other comment I'm going to make is just, uh, whenever we do interview people, uh, you know, I interview a lot of people that are, uh, for internships and, I would say that you have, if you have a fair amount of code on GitHub that you have written, you have, and don't, you know, don't obviously don't hold me to this, but you have like a nine or like a uh, nine times out of 10, you will, I will put you through to get that internship. Probably even more than that. I would say probably, you know, probably even better odds than that. And we, I even had one person come in uh, in this last round of, of intern interviews and he had written. Uh, he's like, oh, I've been contributing back to, it was like node or something similar. Um, and he had just like a ridiculous number of projects that he had built on, on GitHub. And he was contributing to like all these major pro like, like significant contributions. Like he had pull requests and there were discussions around it. This is an intern who is already like supporting all of these communities out there. And that was just amazing. So it's like, you barely even have to talk to that person. Uh, in fact, he had some interviews before that and they had all these glowing reviews. So it was more of like, Hey, what, you know, like where, where, where's this journey taking you? Like, where do you want to be? And, you know, it was more like coaching at that point. Cause it was obvious that, that we were going to, um, you know, offer him an internship. So yeah, side projects are always great. Uh, okay. Google now has a security.txt file. So, so should you, what is that file? So uh, we're familiar with robots.txt. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talked about on the show humans.txt. Yep. And now uh, if you go on and click this link in the show notes, it's security.txt. And this is an article by uh, Troy Hunt. So obviously anything named security.txt coming from Troy Hunt with who has a security background, uh, he's going to have some interesting insights to this. So one of the things that if you follow him in particular, you know, when a, when a company has, uh, you know, a vulnerability to their product or website or something, um, sometimes it's hard for researchers to get a hold of that company or that company will act in ways that aren't, uh, considered best practices in the security industry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what somebody has come up with is if you have the security.txt file, it's, a there's a, uh, it's in the process of becoming a standard on how the format is, but it's basically how should you interact with this company when it comes to a security issue that you found oh, okay. for that company, That's for awesome. that company to respond back to you in an appropriate way. So from his, uh, perspective. He has plenty of examples on his blog about how he's tried to reach out to companies and they just blow him off or take it out of proportion or block him on social media and then proceed to make other errors. So if you and your or your company have this security.txt file, it's, you know, one of the ways just to make this whole process of, you know, reporting issues to uh, your products a lot easier and 
make sure that they happen in in correct ways. Mm-hmm. The problem is the companies that that are not taking him seriously are not going to have a security.txt, right? Oh, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you know, you know it's one of those things like, you know, it took a while for the, you know, like robots.txt and some of these other yeah. standards to kind of go around too. So, eventually, hopefully, it'll get around to a lot more yeah. places. Well, the nice thing is like Google and Bing have web crawlers and they will uh, there's a there's like a webmaster dashboard that you can access and they will give you warnings like this and they will say, hey, you know, you're missing this file and this is pretty critical. Um, so it'd be great for them to start checking for this and sort of issue a warning um, like, hey, help your customers, you know, know how to report security issues because uh, security is kind of a big deal these days. Go figure. Uh, okay. So last one here, key iPhone source code gets posted online in biggest leak in history. And of course, by the time I went out to GitHub, the source code was gone because they were, it was taken down with a DMCA, uh, takedown notice. Yeah. So there was a bunch of people that, you know, we were talking to that were like, oh, this was for iOS nine. So that's not big of a deal, but, um, you know, for something that is as big and as, as, as been around as long as the iPhone, you know, some of those things don't change all that much, or no. if they do, um, you know, there's good portions of it that, you know, are going to go untouched between releases. So even though this was two versions of iOS ago, uh, this is for the bootloader. It's a pretty, um, pretty significant part of the phone itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, taking it on a little bit lighter side, uh, somebody who had gotten, uh, a look at the code. Notice that uh, going back to one of our favorite debates here, that the leaked code uh, contained mixes of tabs and spaces in it. <laughs> nice. So it's just a it's just a mess. So they they are human over there apparently. <clears throat> um. Yeah. It's really interesting. It was like taken down right away, and I just kind of wanted to see what what that kind of code would look like. But um, I don't know. It's probably better that I didn't see it anyway. Um, okay. So let's move on. Cause I want to talk about the desktop bridge. Cause this is such a cool technology. Um, so Stefan, I think where we wanted to start was kind of, you know, we, we had, uh, John Sheehan on, was that two years ago, Carl? Three years three ago. Years? Build, 20, build 2015. Holy cow. Three, almost three years ago. And, uh, you know, he, he walked us through Centennial and that was before it was basically available at the time. Um, but can you kind of give us a history of like what's happened in the past couple of years? Yeah, um, yeah. 2015 was yeah when we first talked about it at Build, um, and then in 2016 we actually released it as part of the anniversary update. Uh, so yeah, we called it uh, Project Centennial uh, at the time before we shipped it. Uh, now we typically refer to it as the Windows Desktop Bridge. Um, so what what it really is is with the Desktop Bridge we have extended the Windows 10 platform. Um, to give all Win32 apps a great path forward. Um, and the reason really is because we love all the code that developers have written for Windows, all the apps that they have created, You know whether those are new apps for Windows 10 created specifically or apps they have written you know, on Windows 7 or even earlier. Uh, you know, we, we love all that code and we want to make able they have, uh, we want to uh, enable them to have a great path forward on Windows 10 uh, for all their existing code, their existing skills, all the investments, and uh, want to make able they can modernize them easily on Windows 10 uh, without having to do a- any kind of rewrite. Uh, remember, you know, Windows 8 uh, when we introduced the the new app model for Windows, you know, was a beautiful thing, beautiful app model. Uh, back at the day, in the day, our story for developers was was 
hey, yeah, you can rewrite all your code and then you get all the benefits of this app model. Um, of course, that wasn't, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, very well received by uh, all existing developers who had existing investments and existing apps. Um, uh, doing a full rewrite, you know, is never a good story for a developer. With the desktop bridge, we now uh, have a great story where you can uh, incrementally adopt uh, new features on Windows 10, incrementally modernize uh, your application at your own pace. Yeah, and and as a user. I mean, we, it's, it's funny. We always think of it from the developer perspective, but man, as a user, it is so awesome. Like I was, um, you know, I've, I, I usually never install Spotify, but when Spotify became, uh, you know, basically centennialized or, you know, was used, used the desktop bridge and was available then in the store. I love it. Cause I can just say like, give me that. And I, you know, I can get it. I don't have to deal with an installer. I mean, I think installers are, are, just, you know, I don't like the next, next, next. And, you know, hopefully don't click, you know, look for, for check boxes that are going to do evil things or, or things like that. So um, I think it's yeah. a much better user experience. Exactly. The user experience uh, for uh, the installation uh, certainly is a lot better. You get uh, seamless updates automatically from the store. Yeah. Uh, and you can do clean uninstalls of, of the application if you no longer want it. Uh, you probably all remember times where you installed, you know, an MSI uh, or other classic uh, um, application. Uh, you didn't want it at some point. You uninstalled it, but your system was never the same again because something was left behind that was still, you know, messing with other applications. So those are all things of the past. Uh, you know, with applications uh, moving to the modern deployment stack, uh, Windows uh, takes care of, you know, clean, install, update, and uninstall, so we can always guarantee uh, a good system health. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a number of other benefits that, that, uh, that you get from, um, that the user gets from your application being uh, centennialized. Um, you... Uh, uh, your app has an identity, so the system actually knows about it. We can surface it in the user settings on Windows 10. Uh, so you have more options there to control uh, your application, uh, to uh, reset it and, and uh, do things like that. Um, also, um, uh, another important thing we're, we're doing uh, with the desktop bridge is we are... Um, not only isolating your your installation footprint on the system, um, we're also uh, moving all system interactions out of PROC, uh, which means all your integrations that uh, classic apps would do, for example, with explorer.exe that used to happen in PROC, we're now doing out of PROC. So if the third-party application has a bug or you know crashes every once in a while, it will not take down Explorer or important parts of the system oh. or the shell. Uh, so that's actually uh, interesting uh, data. The Explorer team once did an analysis and found that like 98% of their Explorer crashes are actually from third-party code mm -hmm. uh, that integrates, you know, with some like 20-old-year interfaces uh, with Explorer. And so whenever they have a bug, Explorer crashes and the user has a pretty terrible Windows experience. Mm -hmm. Now, with desktop bridge applications, all these integration points are moved out of proc. So even if uh, your app crashes, you know, your system is still healthy and continues working. Yeah. So looking at the developer side of this, you know, this is a technology that I've really followed since our first discussion that we had with uh, John Sheehan. Um, 
you know, initially there was a way that you could, you know, take your MSI and you run a process and it'll figure out, you know, how to package that up. Um, you could also do like an Apex package and with a handwritten Apex manifest to do it. And recently there's also a Windows app packaging project to do this. So am, am I missing any technologies like how I can get my old code over into a store ready state? Yeah. So there are yeah several ways to do that. Uh, you've already listed uh, a couple of them. Uh, first of all, yeah, you can do it manually. Uh, if you are like a hardcore, you know, notepad, command line uh, type of guy, uh, you can, yeah, just take your existing Win32 binaries and author an Apex manifest, uh, you know, put all the binaries and assets in the right place and then run the make Apex tool and off you go. You're ready to submit to the store. You know, that's more like for, you know, people who absolutely, you know, know what they're doing and want to have that level of control. For the you know typical uh, you know developer who is you know maybe a little uh, more lazy, uh, there's a number of uh, great tools available out there today. Uh, you mentioned the desktop app converter. This is kind of our sort of a default tool uh, that uh, that the platform team makes available to the community. Um, it actually is available in the store. So uh, what we've done, literally, we've ran the desktop app converter on the desktop app converter, and then we put it in the store. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a true story. And um, so that's kind of the the standard tool where you can feed it, you know, either your MSI or your X copy installer, or you can point it at you know just a folder of loose files, and uh, the tool will create. Um, a Windows store or a, a Windows app package uh, for you that you can distribute via store or distribute um, uh, via sideload and other means uh, in, in your enterprise, for example. But there's a lot more uh, that has evolved since then. Uh, we now have also great support in IDEs for developers. So, of course, in Visual Studio um, with the... Uh, I think update four for uh, Visual Studio 2017, uh, we now have the packaging project, uh, which is a, a great tool, very easy to use. If you have um, any existing Win32 project going on in Visual Studio, any WinForms project, WPF, MFC, you know, you name it, uh, you can just add uh, this packaging project to the solution, point it at your application project, and then you get all the same uh, sort of packaging support that you already know from UWP. So you can uh, edit the manifest in the Visual Studio manifest editor. You can manage your assets for icons and uh, things like that. And you can just you know uh, create the store package right there in Visual Studio associated with your Dev Center account and basically uh, do your uh, app store submission uh, right there. Uh, this is Visual Studio. Also, our friends over at Embarcadero uh, have added similar support to uh, RAD Studio. Uh, so if, if you're using that for your Delphi or, or C++ projects, you have that uh, there as well. Uh, and then also there is the uh, important uh, installer ecosystem um, uh, with folks like Flexera, FireGiant, uh, Advanced Installer, InstallAware, um, Pace, uh, hopefully I'm not forgetting anyone here. Uh, they have all picked up uh, this technology uh, over the last uh, year or two and added great support in, in their tooling. 
uh, to also produce uh, Windows app packages. So those are great solutions if you if you have a project that you know you still want to target Windows Seven. Uh, so you want to uh, produce an MSI for that, uh, but you also want to uh, take advantage of new features on Windows 10. You can use the same tool, and from you know the same mm. code base, same binaries, you produce a Windows app package, and you'll get a much better experience on Windows 10. Oh, that's that's a great point. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement, so start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. Yeah, so I wanted to pause a little bit on the the Windows app packaging project because that that's kind of the the impetus for why we uh, in, invited you here. Is I, I had this old application. Uh, essentially, all it does is I I have the problem where I have bad typing style, and whenever I reach for the A, I just mash the caps lock key. So then um, I, I wrote an app that hooked into the keyboard with some Win32 APIs and just prevented that from happening. And uh, because of that, I could never make a UWP app out of that. Um, but I really wanted to get this into the store, but I didn't want to. I didn't want a lot of work. I didn't want to go through just a ton of stuff to make this happen. I didn't want to write installers. Uh, so that's part of the reason why I've been following uh, the desktop bridge so much is because you know I have a few other apps that are in this class that I really wanted to get in the store. So last December, I actually uh, spun up the Windows app packaging project, and it. I think it's almost simpler than, you know, kind of how you stated, um, you know, I added this project to my solution. It had that Apex manifest. I, the hardest part for me was updating all my icons, to be honest. And it pointed to the other project and it just built. It, it was so simple. I, I, I just want to get, you know, pause and give you and, and your team and everybody who's worked on this just a lot of kudos because it really is reminiscent of that old installer project that Visual Studio used to have, except uh, way, way easier because you don't have to deal <laughs> with all the things that it could do. Yeah. Uh, and, and now I have all the benefits of the store. It's up in the store. I get the differential you know, or, or the when I update it, it does just downloads the diffs. You know, if I uninstall it, it's gone. You don't have to worry about it. But I still get all the cool things that a, a Win32 app can do, like system tray integration and, and, and all that um, other pieces there. So, you know, I just wanted to comment how easy this is to use. And if anybody is doubtful, just update to the right version of Visual Studio, like you mentioned, uh, update four for 2017 and try it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, great to hear that you had a good experience with it. Yeah. 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 I love the apps. Like, you know, I mentioned Spotify, but then like uh, paint.net is another one. So yeah. Anybody who's listening, like, I encourage, I encourage you to get your app into, uh, into the the store because that makes it a hundred percent more likely that I'm actually going to use it. Um, so when, when you actually build the the project and you try to submit it to the store, Carl was telling me that, um, that will actually give you an error by default. There's like a different process you have to go through. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's correct. So um, all the projects that get converted with the desktop bridge, they uh, they need to declare a uh, special capability because mm -hmm. those apps are uh, are more powerful than your standard UWP application. They have access to 
uh, all the uh, public Windows APIs uh, as opposed to just the, the UWP subset. Um, so in order to still guarantee, you know, the uh, you know make all the store guarantees for our users, we require um, uh, a slightly different onboarding process where we um, you know work with you uh, through the onboarding. Uh, we'll we'll take uh, you know a look at you know what what the app does and and how how it does it. And um, so those are uh, all, you know, pretty much standard procedures by now. I mean, we've opened the store up, I think, in September 2016 uh, for these kind of apps. Uh, and, you know, back in the day, we were learning how to do that. So now, uh, 18 months later or something like that, uh, this is, you know, uh, working pretty well. And we have it uh, fairly streamlined, uh, but there's still uh, kind of the extra uh, sort of process uh, we uh, we want to follow. So there is kind of a, a sign-up uh, website uh, that that we can probably share share in the in the notes here, where you kind of submit you know a few pieces of information like uh, you know what is your app and you know who 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 are you and then someone from Microsoft will you know directly uh, work with you and and um, and uh, from start to finish for your submission. Okay. And along the uh, process, you know, you'll get to learn, you know, some really great folks uh, there from Microsoft. So all the guys uh, from our App Consult team who are working this progress, they're they all, you know, ec excellent, uh, excellent guys to work with. So, Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I, I look at, you know, this desktop bridge, it's, it's a way for me to take all my existing code and... Um, I have an Apex now, which, you know, leads me into getting more capabilities than the Win32 apps had. So can I start adding UWP features to the, this uh, legacy app that I have? Yeah, uh, exactly. That is one of the, uh, you know, uh, main advantages for developers. You know, once you've uh, done the steps and, you know, you get the immediate benefits of deployment and better user experience. But now, since your app has identity... Uh, uh, we can also give it access to all the new Windows 10 features uh, and APIs. So, uh, you know, you can easily integrate with things like Windows Hello, uh, you know, with uh, Cortana. Um, I mean, literally, you have access to the entire uh, UWP uh, API surface um, and, and, and feature set. So uh, there is, you know, some APIs that... Um, that require uh, your app to, you know, have a, a core window uh, like the, uh, you know, modern UI controls. So those currently you are not able to like host them in your in your VB6 process or in your MFC process or something like that. Uh, so uh, for that, uh, you do have the option though to spin up a, a core window view. Uh, like an additional view in your Win32 package that could then host modern UI. Or you also have the option to actually uh, replace your, your current UI with a complete modern UI, but still retain all your sort of um, uh, uh, backend code um, in Win32 that maybe does your system tray integration or uh, does some, some other things that uh, you weren't able to do uh, in the UWP. So you can kind of uh, mix and match these things and uh, get the best uh, 
uh, feature set from both the Win32 and the UWP world in uh, your app package. Very cool. Very cool. And then uh, going back to what you were mentioning earlier, you're mentioning the submission process being uh, more mature now. Uh, Carl was mentioning that like it, it, it mentioned like that he was like an early adopter of it. Um, so w- what is, uh, you know, like, what does that mean? Okay. Does it, does it still say that? Uh, <laughs> yes. Did it say that in, in December when you did? Okay. Yes. Uh, I, I think that's probably just a bug. Uh, so I don't think we should say that anymore. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So I will, I will uh, have a chat with the store folks and uh, see if we can change the wording on that one. Live bug tracking uh, on the MS Dev Show. <laughs> So uh, speaking of the store, folks, is it is there a place in the store where I can see like a collection of apps that are uh, have gone through the desktop bridge? Um, that's a great question. Um, so in general, uh, I mean, the way we are presenting apps to to the end user, uh, we don't want to make a distinction like, hey, this is a UWP app and this is a desktop bridge app. Those yeah. are all Windows apps and um, a an end users should not really care about what is the packaging detail or the implementation detail of a given app. So for them, you know, they just see apps, you know, uh, from the Windows Store for for their device. Um, if you are, uh, you know, curious when you install an app and you want to know, hey, is this a um, a desktop bridge app? Uh, you the the way to detect it uh, is uh, on the product description page in the store. Uh, if you look into the capability section, this is where an app uh, discloses all its capabilities. And uh, desktop bridge apps have the entry there that says, uh, I think it says, uh, uses all system resources, uh, which is uh, kind of the oh, yeah. human, human readable um, version of Run Full Trust, which is the technical name of the capability. So that's a way how you could detect it if if you wanted to see it for for a given app uh but for a user i mean those are all just apps and also keep in mind that um our model uh, now allows you to have an app package that has some um full trust win32 components and one uh, and some uwp components all mix and match in the same package so you for some of these apps you can't really say hey this is a uwp app or this is a desktop bridge app it it can be sort of a a, a, a hybrid uh, of both um, so that that would be my answer. I know there's also, I think, a collection that the store team put together uh, that's called something like Powerful Desktop Apps, uh, where they started uh, highlighting some of the uh, desktop bridge apps. Uh, but that will only give you like a, a, a very small a window in the full set of applications that we have onboarded by now. So it's it has really uh, picked up a lot of steam in the last uh, uh, six months or, or in the last year. I'm still it's still blowing my mind that the desktop app converter is like in in there in the store. <laughs> I mean it makes sense. I mean it makes perfect sense. But it, it it's kind of like wrapping your head around you know like you know C sharp being compiled by a C sharp compiler. Or, you know, written in C sharp. <laughs> so, and then what about, um, you know, if I put an app in the store, what about monetizing it? Or is it, does it all work the same? Yeah, exactly. So it works uh, exactly the same way as for a UWP. So you get all the same uh, uh, monetization uh, methods. Uh, you can have trials. Uh, uh, you can have paid apps. Um, uh, you can use adver- advertisement. 
Uh, also, recently, uh, the store team enabled subscription-based um, monetization for applications. So that's available as well, both for UWP and, and desktop bridge applications. Okay. Or the other big advantage, of course, that uh, we should mention here, uh, if you monetize through the, the Microsoft Store, then, um, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, taking people's credit cards exactly. and uh, dealing with, like, in international uh, payment methods. So you automatically get all the uh, payment methods that are uh, used in, I think, 200 50 markets or, or some number like that across the world and uh, you can make your app available in 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 the markets you choose obviously uh, but you don't have to uh, worry about hey what's a common payment uh, method in uh, in the Netherlands for example cool I, I believe I just saw another recent store capability around pricing that you can do uh, per market specific pricing now so instead of just selecting it from a drop down I could say well, in, in China, instead of charging uh, the you know eight won or uh, for the local currency because that's for the drop down, I can do seven point seven seven because that's a very lucky number there. So I might get more people to download because I can get very specific with my pricing. Yep, that's correct. Okay, cool. So, is there anything else that uh, we missed or that we should talk about about the desktop bridge? Um, well, I think we're, we're still uh, making more improvements to it. Uh, so um, it's like with every release since uh, since the anniversary update, we've added you know great new capabilities, you know better tooling, and you know we're we're keep we're keep uh, improving things here. So definitely stay tuned. Um, you know on uh, like the Windows Dev blog and you know also upcoming uh, announcements here uh we we want to make it even easier than than it is today uh also to kind of uh, make the adoption of new windows 10 features in your win32 uh, applications really kind of like a, a, a no-brainer and as easy as possible uh like one of the things i i mentioned earlier um today if you want to use modern ui in your win32 process you know it's not really uh that easy or you know you have to spin up your your own modern view for that uh so we're looking at you know making it possible to use all the new uh ui goodness you know uh, some of the affluent uh, design elements you know also more directly uh, from your win32 application so it's really kind of an, an easy pay for play for developers um, you know they don't have to learn uh, a ton of new concepts they can just easily uh, adopt uh, new features uh, with just a couple of lines of code. Very cool. Great stuff. Yeah, it's, it's great to see the uh, uh, the trend, you know, having John on three years ago and then talking about it now. It's amazing the the, the level of maturity that has, has come about over the past couple of years. It's awesome to see. Uh, okay, so we don't have any tips of the week, so we will jump into the game that we play. So what I need you to do, Stefan, is pick a number between one and three, or sorry, between one and four, except for three, because I'm out of threes. <laughs> and then tell me what it is. Okay. Uh, two. Okay, it's a kid's game here, so I gotta, I'll find you a two. Let's see. I found one. Okay. Would you rather share your entire home with a huge dairy cow or with five large, playful seagulls? 
Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would probably pick the cow, I think. Well, the good thing about the cow, if you have a two-story house, is I, the cow, I think, would stay on the, the same story. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's an advantage. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, the seagulls would poop everywhere, but so would the cow. <laughs> True, yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I think it would There's still... no good winner for that one. Yeah. You'd want to control the diet of that cow for sure. Okay, let me cross that off so we don't do that question again. And Carl, pick a number. I'll do number one. Number one. Okay, what do we got here? Number one. Number one. Okay, here we go. Um, I think we did we did that one for sure. So let me pick another another number one here. It's getting harder and harder. I gotta buy that book that has all the questions in it. Okay, here we go. Uh, would you rather live? This seems so easy. Would you rather live next to a garbage dump or next to an old Indian burial ground? Old Indian burial ground. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like a really easy question. Like, <laughs> and and I like how we always it, you always have to specify that it's an Indian burial ground for some reason. <laughs> As if that's if that's somehow different. Uh, okay, perfect. <laughs> that was uh, that was un- uneventful. Um, okay, so uh, Stefan, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, Twitter is probably a good uh, place to find me. My my handle is uh, Stefan Wick Dev, uh, okay. so it should be pretty easy. Um, yeah. Uh, please hit me up okay. there. Happy to answer any questions about desktop bridge. Awesome. And then I know that Carl has collected a whole bunch of links, uh, for, uh, basically sessions on, uh, on the desktop bridge, as well as the link to, uh, to, uh, allow you to get started. Uh, and Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at Twitter at twitter.com slash techie. So Stefan, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about the Windows desktop bridge. This is really cool technology that I think uh, all Windows developers should be taking a look at. Thanks for having me.